Look, would you, at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read the first six verses. We'll spend a few weeks here in Hebrews chapter 11. But today I'll set the stage for that. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded, commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We have here two of the most important theological terms in the Bible, in this very first verse of chapter 1, faith and hope. The noun translated faith appears 243 times in the New Testament, The verb form of that same word appears another 220 times in the New Testament. The noun appears 30 times in the book of Hebrews. It's one of the main themes of this letter. And 24 times in this chapter. Faith is phenomenally important to the Christian life. It's by faith we're saved. It's by faith we are justified. Jesus said that it, that is God's dealings with us in this world, would be according to our faith. Without it, our author says in verse 6, you can't please him. By faith, we do God's work. By faith, we stand firm. Faith is the sine qua non of Christianity. Without faith, there is no Christianity. But what is faith? That's an important question. And if you've never wrestled with it before, you're going to realize it's a difficult one. But seeing how crucial it is to the Christian life, we need to try to answer it. The American journalist and social critic H.L. Mencken answered that question this way. What is faith? Faith is the illogical belief in the occurrence of of the improbable. Ambrose Bierce, the Devil's Dictionary, did him one better. He defined faith as belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. Is that what God requires of us? Does illogic, illogical belief purify our hearts? Do we stand firm by belief without evidence? Not at all. Faith, our author says, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's how the NIV translates the Greek of this verse. The King James does it in a different way. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The King James's substance sounds like something different from the NIV's being sure. And the word evidence doesn't seem to be quite the same thing as being certain. 
If you were to go through a dozen of the major translations, both Protestant and Roman Catholic, you would find them almost equally divided in how they translate this verse. And there's a reason for that. Both translations are possible. One takes the respective nouns as subjective genitives. I'm going to explain what that means a little bit um, in a few moments. But a subjective genitive, being sure, being certain, that's how the NIV takes it, for example. The other takes them as objective genitives, as substance, as evidence. And really good scholars line up behind both choices. Now let me try to illustrate the difference between the objective and subjective genitives. I know this is, you don't need to remember any of this, but just remember the point, okay? Let's say a man with a conceal and carry permit is going to a rough neighborhood in Detroit where there's been a string of murders. A friend asks him, do you have confidence about your safety going into that neighborhood? In response, he opens his jacket to reveal a firearm, pats it, and says, this is my confidence. Okay? The first use of that word, are you confident, represents a subjective genitive. Do you have a feeling of certainty? The second use of that word, this is my confidence, represents an objective genitive. It's about an actual state rather than a feeling. Now, I don't pretend to have any place among these great scholars, but after reviewing the alternatives, I prefer the objective genitive. In other words, I'm sure that being sure, and I'm certain that being certain, is not the best way to translate this. Actually, I'm not sure at all about that. (laughs) But I just had to say that. I do think the evidence is slightly stronger for the objective genitive. And if I'm right, this is why that's important. If I'm right, then Hebrews 11.1 is not so much a definition of what faith is as a description of what faith does. And that idea fits with the rest of the chapter, which goes on to tell us what faith has done in the lives of 15 named heroes and many more unnamed ones. Now, let me offer you another translation which takes the, the genitives as, as objective. When it comes to things hoped for, faith is the foundation. When it comes to things unseen, faith is the proof. Faith is the foundation. It is foundational. The Greek word the NIV translates as being sure, and the King James as substance is hypostasis, which derives from a prefix meaning under and a verb meaning to stand. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word is used to refer to a building's foundation. The psalmist uses it in Psalm 69 when he complains, I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. That word foothold is the same word we have here. There's no foundation. There's nothing for me to stand on. Faith is the foundation on which your Christian life is built. Without faith, there's nothing substantial. That actually is an adjective carried into English through Latin, but it derives from this very same word. There's nothing substantial on which to build your life. Without faith, there's no substructure on which Christian character and Christian behavior rests, which is why when just religious people, church people, but not people of faith, try to build a Christian life, it sooner or later collapses into sin usually, but sometimes into fear or into unbelief. 
Faith is the foundation of things hoped for. But what is this hope? What does our author have in mind when he writes about the things we hope for? He's not thinking of hope in the way that we usually do. I hope it'll rain. Or I hope I pass the algebra test. Or I hope I get the promotion. Biblical writers never use the word hope in that way. Our author is not thinking about the hope that we will be successful or achieve wealth or be healthy. The word hope does not, in this verse or anywhere else in the Bible, refer to a fervent wish for certain of our desires to be realized. Hope refers to the expectation that things will turn out the way God has promised. Hope has to do with the word and promises of God. In the Bible, God frames our hope. We don't. Hope always has to do with things future. It dwells in the future. Though we can never be sure just how far in the future it waits. Faith has to do with the present. But here's the thing about faith. It's a time traveler. Faith travels from the present into the future and then returns to live in its light. Imagine you could do that. Just imagine you could travel 20 years into the future. And you do, and when you do, you learn, for example, that fossil fuels will be totally obsolete in 20 years, that some new technology will completely change the way the world produces energy. Now, you can't stay in the future, so when you come back from seeing it, what will you do? Well, for one thing, you're going to sell your shares in ExxonMobil, right? And then you'll start looking for opportunities to invest in this upcoming technology. And you'll put off buying a new car or rewiring your house. They're going to be obsolete soon. And you'll tell your friends to do the same. You'll live in the light of the future that you've seen. Faith lives in the light of the future God has promised. That includes not only future realities about heaven but also about earth and about us. Faith makes the me of the future God promises, the me who is like Jesus, who's justified and loving and peaceable and gracious, faith makes that me substantial. Faith brings that future into the present and acts on it. Now that fits perfectly with what Paul told the Galatians. By faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. We know it's coming. We've caught glimpses of it. Our faith has seen what God is going to make us to be. And so we live in the light of that. Faith enters the future. And it does so, this is important, by prayer, meditation, the study of the Scripture, And it spends time there with hope. Sees what it's like and what awaits us. It sees the future and gives substance to it. Or it is the substance of it, to use the King James Version. Faith is our bridge into the future. Now the second half of this verse could be translated, when it comes to things unseen, faith is proof. 
The future is one of the things unseen. And faith will make it materialize. It's the proof that it exists. However, not all unseen things exist in the future. There are unseen spiritual realities that are present. For example, we don't see Christ now, but faith envisions him. Even though you do not see him now, St. Peter writes, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Faith is the title deed. That's how the, the Greek scholars Moulton and Milligan suggest we ought to translate it here. Faith is the title deed for the future that God has promised and for the heavenly blessings that he's already bestowed on us through Christ. Faith makes the potential, things as yet unseen, actual in our lives. But how can I know whether I have faith? That's a good question. If we think of verse 1 as a definition of faith, and we take the genitives as subjective, then I can know I have faith if I feel sure about something or someone, about God, about salvation. But what if I feel really sure while I'm at church listening to the preacher or singing hymns, but really unsure later when I'm at home? What if I know I'm a Christian on Tuesday and I'm sure that I'm not a Christian on Thursday. If faith is being sure, that is, if it's not having doubts, then am I saved on Tuesday and lost on Thursday? I think that's the wrong way to go about it. Faith is more, and it is other, than a feeling of certainty. There's other language to describe that feeling in the New Testament. There's assurance language. Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirits that we are God's children. He speaks repeatedly of being persuaded or convinced. It's one of his favorite words about spiritual truths. That persuasion leads to a sense of certainty that can be a powerful reality in our lives. But that's not exactly what our author's talking about here. How can you know whether or not you have faith? Well, let me frame that with a few other questions. How can a nurse know if her patient has an appetite? He eats. How can you know if your child understands his math homework? He works out the sums correctly. How can you know if a man loves his mother? He does what's in his power to benefit her. How do we know if a person has faith? He responds to God's word in obedience. He takes God at his word and acts accordingly. That's why St. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And then he challenges his reader who claims to have faith, Show me your faith without deeds. Show it to me. Let me see it. And I'll show you my faith by what I do. He understood that you can't show someone faith apart from what you do. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, Faith operates quite simply, he said. God speaks, and we hear his word, we trust his word, and act on it. That's faith. Now faith, real faith, can be really small. Like a mustard seed, to borrow Jesus' image. Or it can be really great. Small faith is hard to detect. People with small faith don't often hear God. Or don't realize they're hearing him when they do. I think people hear God often and don't realize who's speaking. 
And so they rarely act in obedience to something God said. On the other hand, people with great faith recognize God's voice often, and they act on it regularly. Now, here's the reality of which we must be aware. Faith is dynamic. That means it can grow in your life, or it can shrink. It doesn't stay the same. Small faith people can become people of great faith. Did you know that on more than one occasion, Jesus called his disciples little faiths? You little faiths? They turned out to be men of enormous faith because faith is dynamic. It can grow. The bad news is the warning we've heard over and over again in Hebrews is that faith can shrink. It can drift into unbelief. Now, here's how it works. We hear God speak perhaps through a Bible passage. We recognize that he's speaking to us. Let's say about forgiving someone. Now we have a choice to make. God's spoken. We can either ignore him and pretend that we didn't hear him because forgiving that person will be awkward and hard and we're still really angry at him. Or we can respond by taking God at his word and forgiving the person, even though we don't know how we're going to do that. If I follow the first course, I ignore, pretend I didn't hear, faith will shrink. And the next time God speaks to me, I will find it harder to hear what he's saying. If I follow the second course and obey, faith will grow. And it will be easier to hear God the next time he speaks. When I hear and act accordingly, faith gets bigger. This leads to more obedience, which leads to bigger faith, which leads to even more obedience, which leads to even bigger faith. You see where that's going. Faith, our author says, makes unseen things visible. But faith itself is invisible. It's an unseen thing. How do we know if it's present? Let me illustrate from recent news. A few weeks ago, actually when we were in Canada, scientists at CERN announced that they may have discovered the Higgs boson subatomic particle, which is exciting news. I mean, I don't know if you're into that kind of thing, but you know, people, <laughs> I see people shaking their heads. It's really exciting news. The way they did that was to shoot two beams of protons. Actually, what amounts to a, a liter bottle. Uh, just not much, but two beams of protons into a particle accelerator, but in opposite directions. Then they increased the speed of those beams until they're traveling within a hair of the speed of light. And then those two beams of protons collide and burst into pieces, essentially, creating new particles, which were then recorded on these gigantic detectors. The detectors give scientists all kinds of data. Uh, about things like which direction the particles spin, how big they are, what their mass is, what direction they travel. The researchers never actually see the particle itself. That's impossible. But they see the trail that it leaves. In other words, they see what it does. That's the way it is with faith. You can't just see it, but you can see what it does. And when faith interacts with hope in the high-energy atmosphere of the Spirit, it always leaves a trail of obedience. 
Our author says that faith is what the ancient excuse me, what the ancients were commended for. God commended, literally, it is he testified. We testify about God's faithfulness. He testified about our faith. God testified concerning their faith. But it wasn't because people were sure about their beliefs that God testified about them, but because they responded to his word with obedience. Now, this chapter will go on to highlight people's faith, not by telling us how certain they were, but by telling us what they did. And their obedience to God was not always or even primarily about religious matters. It was for Abel, we read about him, who presented an offering to God. But others were commended for their hard work, for their obedience in times of uncertainty, even for starting a family, an act of faith. They entered the future God had for them by faith. Their faith brought the future into the present and made unseen realities appear. That's what faith does all the time. One thing this chapter makes clear is that faith is about life. It's not just about Sunday morning church. If faith only shows up on Sunday, if it doesn't change anything in our lives from Monday to Friday, it's not the kind of faith the Bible's talking about. So when somebody asks you, do you believe in Jesus? Saying, well, I kind of feel like I do. That's not biblical faith. Look at verse 3 for a moment. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. There's all kinds of stuff here. We're not going to go into much of it. But the word universe is the usual word for age and sometimes applied to material creation. The word translated formed has the idea of preparing something for its proper use. It's translated equipped elsewhere. Uh, The saints are equipped for the work of the ministry. What is seen translates the Greek word phenomenon, phenomenon. Look at what happens. God speaks his powerful word, and the universe comes into being. The potential becomes actual. The unseen appears. And biblical faith places us squarely in the middle of what God is doing as he brings the unseen and makes it visible, as he takes the future and brings it into the present. Look, people get this mixed up all the time. We do not believe things into existence. The televangelist you're going to see when you go home today, just ignore what he says. He doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) I recognize that voice. (laughs) We don't believe things into existence, whether wealth or health or anything else. That's not how biblical faith works. Biblical faith responds to what God has said and is already doing. And so, as as Dr. J. Oswald Sanders puts it, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. And the more our faith increases, the more we live in the light of the future that God has planned for us. Now, what does all this mean? How does it apply to us? Let me suggest a few things. First, it means that it is dangerous Foolish, even, to try to separate faith from obedience. When churches argue about whether people need faith or obedience, which they've done forever, 
the devil must laugh. It's like arguing over whether the sun gives light or heat. Some types of artificial lighting produce light with very little heat. Some types of artificial faith produce certainty without, with very little obedience. But as James pointedly asks, can such faith save us? If faith is not having an effect on our lives, we need to ask ourselves, is it artificial? Secondly, since faith does not originate inside me, I just can't work it up but as a response to what God has said, I need to be sure I'm in a place where God can speak to me. The best way I know to do that is to spend quality time regularly in the Bible. You say, oh, man, I just can't read the Bible. Try it again. Yes, you can. Now, it's not the only way. We can listen to sermons. We can read good books. We can and must spend time alone in prayer. We can practice listening for God's voice all day long. That's possible. However it might come to us, it's critical to the development of faith that we be in a place where we can hear God speaking. But the quickest and surest way to strengthen faith is to act on something God has already spoken to us. It may be a very small thing. Call your mother. Welcome this person. Maybe something a little bigger. Sign up for Family Promise on Saturday night. Or invite that widower over for dinner. And it may be something that seems entirely impossible. Forgive that person who hurt you so badly. But when God speaks to us like that, do you understand what's happening? He's ready to transport the future into the present and transform the unseen into the seen. And he intends to use your faith as the instrument by which he performs those remarkable feats. You. If you obey when you hear God speak, your faith will immediately grow. And your spiritual hearing will become more acute. If God has spoken to you, it might be such a little thing. Act on what he said. Even if you don't understand it completely, even if it was years ago that he spoke it to you. Don't expect him to say anything else until you act on this. That's where we get in big trouble. We say, God, I'm going to ignore you, what you said, but I'm just going to go on and live for you in some other way. You just tell me what I should do. If he's spoken to you, act on what he said. This is your moment, your opportunity to participate in the glorious activity of God. It's his invitation. Now let's pray. Master, I pray that you will make these things real to us. That what we've begun to look into... you will continue to explain until whether our heads get it or not, our hearts have it. Like the apostles, Lord, we say to you, increase our faith. Amen.